Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. But what you may not know is that in addition to this podcast, we also host two live races in the Wilmington, North Carolina area that are designed to do the same. Yep. The first is the Hydra, which takes place on April 20th and has a 50K individual, a 50K relay, and a half marathon option. Whatever option you choose, we promise that slaying the Hydra will be unlike any race that you've ever experienced. And the second is the final countdown, which takes place on September 14th. And whether you've never run before or you're a hardcore ultra veteran, this race is designed to help you find your limits. And we will be there with you to help celebrate. All right, so mark your calendars, share with your friends, and visit us at our website, theultrarunningguys.com. Or check out the links in the show notes for more info. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up. Hey, welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And part of knowing what that next step is, is figuring out what you want to go run. So a few months ago, we started this race spotlight series. It's been going over really, really well. And tonight we're talking about another race that's under the Aravifa umbrella. We've talked about a few so far, but Jeff, why don't you give us some specifics? So this race though is one of those that if you are on social media and you are involved in ultra running at all, you will see that this race has just continued to explode in popularity. It is like in October when this race comes around, everybody's social media is going to explode. Everybody's there, but us, it seems like, right? (laughs) But um, so yeah. Everything about it, though, feels like the Woodstock of ultra running, where the entire community comes together to celebrate all things ultra and has a great time. It looks like a just like a party. Uh, but there is also a race that takes place in the middle of this party. And it's also a golden ticket race. And so what that means is not only is everybody having a big old fun time, but you've got some serious, legitimate athletes and runners out there who are doing everything they can to qualify for Western states. And so you've got a, a very good mix of folks out there. Um, we were talking about the Javelina 100, which is a 100-mile race um, that covers five loops um, that wind through the Sonoran Desert, and the elevation gain is minimal, so it's only about 1,580 feet per loop, and you're going to be running on a surface of packed granite to rocks and to sand. So to learn more about it, though, let's invite our good friend, Jubilee Page, to the party (laughs) to talk about the Javelina 100. Jubilee, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So like we've said before, I mean, who better to learn from than the race director about, you know, the race itself. And so to me, there's so much to talk about this. We just talked about it. It looks so exciting. I'm sure we're going to hear a bunch of wonderful things about why runners continue to show up to this. And part of the show is making sure that if you're thinking about doing this race, you're going to hear directly from Jubilee what to be thinking about, how to prepare, uh, what you may be underestimating. But before we get into that, Jubilee, I'm interested what is your favorite part about the Havilene 100? Um, oh my gosh. Um, so many things really, but I think, um, yeah, I, I love this race and I've been a part of this race for, um, for a while. And I think one of my favorite things just honestly is, um, the energy of this race, um, the overall energy that you feel as a runner, as a crew, um, yeah, I think it's such a, a cool, cool experience to come out to a race and just have that amount of people uh, in the community just, you know, there for a party, there for a race. And the energy is really electric. Like it's such, it's like my favorite thing in the world is like um, right at the start of Havelina. Uh It's just, 
you can you can feel the energy in the air and just people are stoked to be there so it really is it does feel like a party and um yeah you can feel it throughout the the entire event so i'm going to just go ahead and give some context <clears throat> if you're yeah. not familiar with the race at all this is like we said we've, we've said party multiple times but perspective wise <laughs> It's got almost a thousand people that are currently registered to run the hundred mile distance. There are a couple other distances that are available as well. But again, if you, if you begin to wrap your brain around that just for a second, that's a lot of folks out there and everybody is just like through the roof, excited to be there. And so um, just from, from that kind of viewpoint, you do want to keep in mind, like it's, it's one of those massive races. Um, why do you think though, it draws such a large crowd and why do you think runners keep coming to it? Um, I mean, I think mostly it's the idea of like being able to be a part of that party and being able to kind of showcase the community. I think our community in ultra running is, it's just spectacular and so diverse. And, um, you just, you get so many, uh, colorful characters in ultra running and it is on full display at Havelina. And so you get to really experience like everybody. And it's kind of this, this idea of like community crew as well. So um, the race has one crewable aid station and that is at Havelina headquarters. And that Havelina headquarters hosts the entirety of all of the crew and all of the spectators, all of the volunteers. Um, and then you come through that five times and you can feel the energy and you can hear, you know, everybody's excited for you. Um, and I think it is such a really, really special um, experience. And then, you know, also being able to, you know, for anybody who's never run in the desert, I think Havelina has a course that showcases the Saguaro and the, the Sonoran desert so well. Um, and it's a beautiful park in the McDowell mountain regional park. And you really get this wonderful glimpse of, you know, how diverse and how um, lush the desert can be really, and how like really full of life the desert can be. And I think that is the essence really of, of Havelina. Like there's just so much life in the desert and that's what we bring. So, yeah. I love that so much. And so let me ask this because there are a lot of things. So the race takes place in October. Yep. With the desert, and we've talked about this for a couple of different races, there can be a lot of diversity, a lot of things. So it sounds like beautiful. But if somebody's listening and thinking, great, I want to go do this, what is something that they may underestimate either about the race, the course, uh, something that may catch them by surprise? Oh my God, so many things, honestly. Um, it's lovely because the desert um, will really kind of teach you a lot of things. Um, and uh, I think one of the things that people underestimate is the heat, um, for sure. You know, you can always heat train, um, but I think people who have an idea who've never been to the desert, you know, Midwesterners, East Coast, international runners, if they've never been to the desert and we talk about heat training and making sure that you manage that heat, um, you've never felt kind of the the long compounded exposure that the desert offers. And so I think people will really underestimate that. And it's so easy to go out really fast in the first loop. And then the sun comes out and by 9.30, you are starting to sweat and you're starting to heat. And you're like, oh gosh, I don't know what's happening. What What's gonna happen when I get to 3 p.m. and the sun is in the sky and like, you know, so that compounded time under the sun is really, I think, people underestimate what that does to a person and what that will do to your performance. Um, so yeah, I think one of the biggest things is to make sure to take 
uh, like heat and heat exposure and managing that heat very seriously for this race. Do you have any particular tips on that, right? Because somebody may be coming from a different area or have you seen things that runners maybe that aren't training in Arizona during the summer, you yeah. know, have brought in to say, oh, this really helped me out uh, to prepare? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, we have tips and tricks on how to kind of maintain that heat and kind of practice with like icing your body and making sure that you ice on top of your body, right? Don't like it's, it's about hydration and making sure that you're hydrated and you have enough electrolytes as well. But um, keeping your body very, very uh, cool is that kind of exothermal um, like cooling, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to cool your body. And then like, as you're moving, that will cool your skin as well. Um, so I would say practice with that, like during the summer, especially if you're going to sign up in the beginning of the year and uh, you're ready to train for Havelina, when you get to the summer, go out in the middle of the day and start practicing those, those things. Um, I had a guy who ran Havelina and practiced and he had no uh, really kind of access to uh, warm weather. And so he ran circles in a sauna just very like like <laughs> very kind of compact but just like moved his body in a sauna and said that like that kind of that dry 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 heat um helped him prepare i mean i think it's an important point um <clears throat> because we live on the east coast um in north carolina and you know we're used to heat but we're used to humid heat and um mm -hmm. we we sweat constantly during the summertime because of that but, you know, I've only run one race out there um, in the desert area. And when what happened for me, even in that same case, is you're dealing with a dry heat, right? And so you you don't evaporate the same way. In, in the East Coast, we're just soaked all the time. But out there, you can't tell you're sweating at the same rate that you are, actually are. And so I think what yeah. caught a lot of us surprised um, off guard, really, is when we get out there is that we don't realize we're sweating at the same rate. And we don't hydrate the same way because we don't see the sweat like we're used to seeing here. And so um, I do think you've got to prepare yourself for a dry heat, like a sauna would work really well for that heat acclimation, as opposed to a, like a steam room type heat acclimation, which some people try to do as well. And it's, it's the wrong kind of heat acclimation. Yeah, I, I highly recommend a sauna and just like sitting in a sauna and getting used to kind of like breathing in like really warm air. Um, but for sure, you know, yeah, in, in a dry heat and an arid um, exposure, like you're, you're not going to sweat the nor like the normal right so you just you don't know how much water you're actually losing because as soon as you sweat it evaporates immediately um so yeah yeah us east coast runners during the summertime <clears throat> we'll wear those shirts that are dry wicking and trying to get the, get the water off of us and instead in the desert we should be wearing cotton as well to hold yes. the water yes. as much as possible hold as much water as you can yeah, to soak the it external up. cooling like you're talking about we, yeah. we want to be wet out there but we don't feel it so it's sorry a, sorry small tangent no it's, i was actually exactly the point i was gonna make it's a very different experience mm -hmm. uh run, running out there compared to to here um but i have a question and this is sometimes we ask and i'm guessing with a looped course it's probably not as much maybe one particular area but you know a lot of times in an ultra there if when you talk to the race directors there tends to be a spot or a couple spots that tend to see more dnfs or kind of more people mentally you know get into trouble those types of things is there something that if somebody's thinking about signing up for this race you're like oh watch out for this or when you get here you know press on because things get better uh anything like that I, like i said with the loop course it may be a little bit different but 
Yeah, with a loop course, it's a little bit more particular only because you're going to hit those same um, aid stations uh, five times. And so I can't really pinpoint an aid station that is like, you, you got to get here and then you're you're in the clear type of thing. It's not, um, you know, so I, I kind of talk it in like loops, right? Where like the first loop is going to feel really great and that 20 miles is going to kind of blow by. You're going to feel really jazzed and like you kind of carry that adrenaline with you um, from the start. And the second loop is immediately hot, immediately. So I think if people can learn um, and just kind of anticipate maybe uh, like managing the second and the third loop um, for their race, those are gonna be the hottest loops of their race. And uh, we've always kind of said like um, within like the eight stations, um, if you can get through the heat of the day and see the sunset, so that's, you know, almost 12 hours after you've started. If you can get through those first 12 hours and maintain and like manage your heat well, manage your, your uh, body temperature and get through to sunset, then you can layer and then you can cruise. So we always say like, if you can get to sunset um, and get through the, like get to the night, then like there's a high possibility that you're gonna finish. So what's the temperature drop then, then for the evening once you get into there? Because like you said, if you've been so hot all day and then all of a sudden sunset, which you're looking forward to that, I'm sure to get some relief, but sure. you, you mentioned, you actually said layer up. And so what's yeah. that temperature drop? I say it because I mean it really. So we see <laughs> hypothermia cases in the desert and it is like, it, it baffles me every year because um, the desert lovely as it is, uh, holds no heat from all the sun exposure and all the pounding of the sun. Um, that ground holds no heat whatsoever after the sunset. So as soon as the sun sets, man, it gets cold. So as soon as uh, you like anticipate like on the loop, make sure that you have a layer, make sure you have a jacket, something um, especially dry that you can change into. So you remove those wet layers, you put on something dry, something warm, and that will get you through the night because the temperature shift is anywhere from, you know, in the daytime, we'll see temps of uh, 80 degrees, 85 degrees, which is very, very hot, um, especially in the desert to 40 degrees mm. at night or 60 degrees. So like there's a good, on average, 30 degree shift mm. at Havelina and you feel it. Yeah. And I, I would imagine, so our first race that we ran had a very drastic, uh, temperature change within a, a few hours. And I was lucky enough to run with somebody early on in the race that said, mm. eat, 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 taking calories now, because when that temperature drops, if you don't have the calories in, you're going to get, you're going to get caught. And we saw a lot of hypothermia there. So I only say that if you're listening and something you're looking at for this race, make sure that even though it's hot, which I would imagine some people could Ooh. run in stomach issues, but really focus on getting those calories in. Cause to your point, all of a sudden you get that temperature drop. And if you don't have the calories there to, to help along with the layers. Um, but it does bring me to, to another question. You mentioned the, the main aid station, kind of the party aid station before headquarters, but we, it sounds like a pretty sizable loop. If we've got, you know, we're coming through there five times. What do the overall aid stations look like? Um, are there the ability to do drop bags in case you get stuck out on a loop while that temperature changes? Talk us through that. Yeah, for sure. So we have, um, our main aid station, which is the Havelina headquarters. Um, and that's kind of where we host everybody. That's the crew bully station. That's a drop bag aid station. Um, so you don't necessarily need crew, but you can very much manage doing the entire race without it. Um, then we also have uh, three remote aid stations, um, one at Coyote Camp, 
one at Jackass Junction, which is about halfway around. Um, and then uh, Rattlesnake Ranch was about like three, four miles away from um, back to heavily uh, the headquarters, right? So um, the two, Coyote and Rattlesnake, um, are remote aid stations. They're non-crewable. Um, we don't have drop bags there, but they are massive aid stations and we always kind of deck them out, right? So these are um, large productions as far as our aid stations go. Uh, we like to theme them. We like to light them up at night. Um, we have incredible volunteers that, you know, theme things out and dress up in costume because of course it's Halloween, Halloween weekend. Um, and then Jackass Junction is kind of our like party city, like remote. So it's only for runners and you have to get there to, to kind of enjoy the party. But Jackass Junction is also just a massive production as far as a race um, aid station goes. We have a full medical aid station out there. Um, water station we have a disco in the desert we had a bar and grill this last year um where uh peter mortimer and peter curry kind of collaborated on like this menu of steaks and brisket and like I, I, wow. I, enough bacon to like blow your mind it was amazing so like it's uh <laughs> and that that's also like a drop bag area so you know we kind of have this massive city at Havelina headquarters and then like the party town out at um jackass junction so yeah it's a good one i hate me for, for not having been there before <laughs> I am i selling it are you gonna come now yeah 2025 i gotta make that happen oh my god i feel so dumb it sounds like such a good time uh and you know i think some of the times it's always like, okay how do you break a race into smaller chunks and it sounds sounds like you guys do a, a fantastic job of giving the runners something to look forward to as they're making their way through that loop. Yeah, just right? because I would want to get there bacon. make it through the nighttime yeah, just to see bacon. how it looks at night. Then, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, and it also answers, I think you said, hey, there is another drop bag aid mm -hmm. station, right? So people can plan that if they do get stuck out there. So that is good to know. Yeah. Uh, but but and people hang out at Jackass Junction. Like we have, you know, we have kind of like a uh, within Havelina hundred, there's the hundred mile and the hundred K, but then we also had this like race in, within a race that we started only a few years ago. And it's the 31 K we call it, uh, the jackass night trail. And so we started at 12 hours later mm. and we just, it's a one loop wonder you do one loop only. So it's a cool way to kind of get your friends and crew involved in the race. If they can do like, tw like 20 miles, honestly, they can walk the 20 miles. There's enough time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just a cool way for them to also experience the course while also in interjecting or injecting a uh, new life and new kind of energy into the, into the race. I like so, that idea too. That's really cool. <laughs> so by the time they get to Jackass Junction, you know, we have disco lights and we have a DJ and we have a bar and grill that's going on. We have a beer garden um, and that's 10 miles out in the desert. And so it's, you know, it's really cool. And we try to make it really special for runners. So I'll say, You've sold it, right? right? So, <laughs> what are we so, doing? so everybody that's listening right now is opening up the computer. They're like, I'm registering. I'm going to be there in October. No, you're not However, this year. right? <laughs> not this year. So, so let's maybe. talk. Oh, right. maybe. So, so let's talk through that, though. What does the registration process look like? So yeah. from the numbers we have, the wait list is over 200 runners. So, so this is one that you want to plan for and, and get into. But what are the tips and tricks for getting registered for Headland? 
Yeah. So we open registration every single year. It's a tradition. We open it on the 1st of January. So at the start of new year, this is your new year resolution. It's I'm going to party. I'm going to plan my running season. And then I'm going to cap it off at Havilena hundred, um, and, and party with my friends. And, um, so we open January 1st, that's every single year. Um, this year was, uh, kind of a surprise, but we sold out, um, 1600 entries, um, in three weeks. So, uh, it just sold out the final, uh, races were, were sold out last week. Um, and it's not even February. So, um, so definitely plan for it, but I do want to like offer a little bit of hope because, um, in the past, we've also sold out the race fairly early in the year. And then kind of people on the wait list, you'll get, you know, last year we had a wait list of 500 people and we were able to go through and invite every single person off that wait list throughout the year. Um, so there's, you know, there's a glimmer of hope. Like if you haven't registered for the race and you see that it's sold out, go ahead and register if you want to participate hmm. because we see so much movement throughout the year. People plan, plans change. Um, and, you know, we see a good shift between probably July and September of just a constant movement on that wait list, people withdrawing and then people getting added. So we kind of maintain that that um, participation, but we do it through um, making sure people come off the wait list. So, yeah. So, yeah, so if There's you pulled out time. that computer, keep, keep, keep inputting There's that info, time. right. <laughs> Well, and not only that, but it sounds like, and I would imagine with that many people, you guys and people are probably knocking down the door to volunteer, Ooh, yeah. but uh, are you looking for volunteers? And if somebody's interested in coming out to volunteer, where's the best place for them to, to do that? Yeah. So we tend to open, um, volunteer registration, um, coming up in February. So look for the link. Um, and uh, there are so many different, we go through, I think, probably 250 to 300 volunteers to be able to operate this race. Um, and like, that's absolutely every task that you can imagine. And we have people building tents and we have people, um, rockstar aid stations and, um, you know, everything. So, uh, yeah, check out the website and follow the link and that should be live in February. I'm just looking at my notes versus his notes. <laughs> For everybody who's watching us on YouTube, they're like, what are they looking at? <clears throat> so I am curious only because we have seen some of um, our former guests who participated in the race. I think last year, I think Tara Dower was one whose picture that stood out to me. So um, there are dangers of running in the desert other than typical you know, reptiles and stuff, but there are plants that apparently jump out and grab people. Did you see um, our social from this last race? Was that was that from well Tara Dower, right? Yeah, was did you it... see her? Did you see her? Yes, like, yes. Mm -hmm. Can you tell those who are listening or watching what am I talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So we have this thing in the desert. Uh, we have many different lovely cactuses, um, but honestly, they're all out to get you. So you know, uh, don't hug them if if. You... <laughs> don't um but we have this thing called the jumping choya and jumping choyas um they're very delicate they're very beautiful like they they look like fluffy bears um out in the desert um and you do kind of want to like like reach out and be like fuzzy no and uh they're they're so delicate that if you touch like a barb the barbs are they kind of act like you know like catfish 
barbs a little mm -hmm. bit, right? Um, that you get stuck, but then the the reverse of it will get really stuck. So if you try mm -hmm. to pull it out, it will go deeper. Um, so those are the jumping choya and uh, yeah, they are so easily stuck on you and they like will just continue to get stuck and they don't go anywhere. So uh, we, I always tell people um, running in the desert for the first time to carry a fork because if they carry a fork, they can like just fork it away. Um, and you, it's great. It's a great tool. So, yeah. So how did that, I'm just curious now, I'm, now I'm distracted, right? <laughs> How totally. did that happen particular or with, with Tara? 100%. Yeah. Was it a I fall think, or was she just too close to the side of the trail? Well, I think I think she might have taken a trip and fall because that okay. that looked like a trip and fall. Um, yeah. That, you know, when, when someone maybe kind of uh, gets one like stuck in the back of their calf, that means somebody behind them kicked it. Oh, um, and so uh, there's a couple of things that happen. Either you kick a choya and it sticks in your shoe or you kick a choya up into the air and it lands in someone's calf or hiney or whatever it is. Um, it's like Mario Kart. I think, I think Mario Tara Kart. took a dive Yeah. <laughs> and, and she came out just covered. The, the pictures were incredible though. It was amazing. <laughs> and uh, was that how, was that Howie Stern that captured that? I, I think it was. Yeah. It was, it um, was Howie. Yeah. And... He always gets so lucky with like, <laughs> like the the gore of it right yeah it's pretty special and in her face he got the different expressions throughout the process but so if you're listening we were distracted i know but if you're listening, <laughs> go, go look at the social i think howie stern's got it on his i, I know you yep. guys have it on yours but go find tara dower with some cool cactus I, and don't hug them yeah don't, so don't, don't hug them. I just, or don't kick them on me oh i was gonna say mario kart try to kick them at the people in front of you see what happens no the only Avoid thing them, like they're so delicate and like it, it's not a huge uh section on the the javelin on the pemberton trail um but like in and around coyote camp there's just they're kind of crowd a little bit uh so you know if they're on the ground just kind of run around them because if you kick them they're stuck in your shoe wow they're coming so, with you so don't hug those just only hug the javelina if you see them they're very huggable right? don't do that either <laughs> <laughs> So, so one question that I did want to ask it for, from the registration with the 100 miler, are there any qualifying race requirements? Do you have to have qualifications to register? No. Okay, good. No. It's an open invitation. Please come and run and experience it. And really, I honestly say that it's a, it's a great first mm -hmm. for anybody really considering the distance. Um, so for 100K, I think it's an incredible first 100K you get um, 29 hours to finish that race. Um, and so, you know, you add in all of the elements of like the crew and, um, you know, your pacers can join you for at least two loops. Um, sorry, at least for one loop for the 100K. And it's just, it's just so fun. So um, for the 100 mile too, like, because you have that crew support, I think like seeing your crew every 20 miles um, and then kind of getting like a little pepper of the party um, out in the remotes. It's, it's just a cool time. And you're never going to spend more than I think our longest stretch between eight stations is 6.6 .6 miles. Um, and, and relatively that's, that's nothing. So yeah, it's a good one. It's a good first. Just as a reminder. So it is a Western States qualifier for, for those who are interested in making yep. it that type of um, event for themselves. The, is it a 30 hour cutoff to be the qualifier for the hundred miler? For the hundred mile, yep, you just have to finish the race yeah. and within the, the time limit. 
and a hundred K does not qualify in any kind of time limit for that. <clears throat> not for this particular race. No, right. our hundred K qualifier is the Black Canyon yep. ultras. And then the hundred mile hundred mile is um, Havelina. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, I, I've got kind of one more question for you. It's very clear how much you love this race. We were talking about, you know, Black Canyon and, and you were rattling stuff off and like, can tell this is just an absolute passion of yours. And so being wrapped up in the races the way you are, what does it mean to you to have runners come out and run this race? Um, man, it, it is like, I, I love this race. I love the desert. I love like the McDowell mountain regional park. Um, just, you know, and then like wanting to share that with people. Um, I, it is like, such a joy every year to see people um, come and experience it and kind of, you know, cross the finish line. And maybe they, like, I always say that Havelina is kind of like this race of possibility, right? So like you step to the start line and there's always a possibility there. There's a possibility of you like, you know, finishing your first hundred or um, PRing or qualifying for Western or something, right? But it's there. And um, I, I want to share the desert with people and because I am who I am, I want to make it as fun as possible. And that's really the heart of Havelina is, you know, the fun and the joy of, of creating something, you know, very like, you know, celebrating the community of ultra. And, and I think that's what we do really well at Havelina. So yeah, I, it, it means the world that people continue to come back and then, you know, new people get excited about it and they want to experience it for the first time. So yeah. If I can't convince my family to do 2024, I'm going to do 2025. <laughs> That's just me. I've decided. <laughs> well, we've talked several times about the energy in the race, and I think you are the perfect person oh to, to talk about it. Your energy is contagious, and it makes you know makes us want to go even more. Uh, for everybody listening, I don't know how we could have done the race any more justice. You know, you did an incredible job. Uh, here's what I would say: if you're joining us for the first time, thank you for taking the time, and if you could. Do all the normal stuff, like subscribe, share with your friends, you know, tell them all about it if you're finding the value, but Jubilee, this has just been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and, and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me on and letting me share. Absolutely. We will make sure that all the links and all that stuff are down in the show notes, but uh, go sign up, just show up and until next time, cuts. Hey, it's Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. And if you're here, you probably already know that we started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you and let you know how much we appreciate you being part of the Ultra Running Guys community because we know there are a million other ways you could choose to spend this time. We love hearing from you. And we're always trying to improve. So if you have guest suggestions or feedback, hit us up through social media or reach out to us at theultrarunningguys at gmail.com. And again, thanks for plugging in. And with that, enjoy the episode. And remember, when in doubt, just show up.